Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hi, everyone. And welcome to My Millennial Money Medical. And my name is Dev Raga. And in this episode, we will discuss the concept of diversification. The word actually originally was popularized by Peter Lynch in one of his books, One Up on Wall Street. If you want me to discuss a specific topic or if you have a specific question, you can contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. For those of you that are new to the channel, there are three main aims. The first one is to be educated, to be educated about financial information and to improve your financial literacy means it leads to the second aim, which is to be empowered with that knowledge and empowered enough to be able to take it to your credential advisor and speak at a level that both of you can understand in. And the third aim is to be entertained. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not an accountant. I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions you want to make to your appropriate advisors. If you're stuck on what to do, here are some broad principles, though, to get you started in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, I think there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is you've got to pay yourself first. You've got to take at least 20% of after-tax income and put it aside. Why? Because you're the most important person in your life. Step two is you've got to invest that money, ideally into something you understand or want to understand. For me, I understand the stock market, so I just invest in the stock market via index funds. Step three is wherever possible, you've got to reinvest dividends. Because reinvesting dividends means the power of compounding is phenomenal. Step four is you've got to do it for the long term. Now, I'm not saying five, 10 or 15 years. I'm thinking 20, 30, if not 40 plus years. Now, the longer you do it, the better it is for you, which means the earlier you start, the better it is for you. And step five is wherever possible, you've got to automate the investments forever. With automation, you're less likely to make mistakes and more likely to just stick to the plan and follow the plan. Now, if you just do these five simple steps over the long term, you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need. Money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. But use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, the lives of people around you a lot better. Now to the main topic, what is diversification? Now, The basic concept of investing is every time you pick an asset, it comes with a risk-return trade-off. You want to take the least amount of risk to obtain the most amount of return. With diversification, it means 
people are just adding more assets to their portfolio. And often those assets have very similar correlations and they think it improves their diversification, but actually it worsens their returns, hence the term diversification. In other words, it just makes things a lot worse. So how's it different to diversification? Now, diversification just means you try and hold as many assets where each asset has varying correlations to each other. And this tends to reduce risk, but at the same time, tries to maximise returns. The way it maximises returns is by negating the potential downside returns of the overall portfolio, or just by mitigating them as much as possible. So if one of the assets does poorly, it doesn't really matter. It sort of cushions the blow significantly. In fact, this is kind of what modern portfolio theory is, which I will do an episode on in the future, but essentially what it is, is if an investor defines their risk, then using data, analysis, and various models, they can spread their securities across the portfolio in such a way that it gives the best possible return for that level of risk. And the key there is they've determined their risk before determining all of the other stuff. So determining your risk is extremely important especially when it comes to modern portfolio theory. In fact, if you look at all the combinations of portfolios and plot them on the graph and the risk is on the x-axis and the expected returns is on the y-axis and you basically join the dots, you will get the best combination of portfolios. And that combination or that line that you get when you join the dots is called the efficient frontier. And it kind of looks like a C-shaped curve. Now, I've done an episode on Efficient Frontier way back uh, a couple of years ago. If you're interested, go back and listen to it. But the problem is the average investor doesn't have all the tools necessary to create their own portfolio using the modern portfolio theory. So this results in individual investors or retail investors or the average investors trying to diversify potentially too much and ultimately shooting themselves in the foot leading to diversification. But I will probably do an episode on the modern portfolio theory because it is a really interesting concept, rather geeky, and I'll try and relate it to the average person. So how does this occur? I mean, how can over-diversification or diversification occur? And the problem fundamentally, I think, is sometimes having too much choice is just not a good thing. And we see this in technology, we see this in shopping for products or services, it just dazzles people. If investors have multiple investment products similarly structured, it can sometimes confuse investors so much and the average investor just thinks, you know what, it's just better to have them all because having them all is a good thing. So let's use an example to highlight this concept of diversification. Amy is new to investing and she's 29 years old and works as an accountant. She's single and doesn't own a home. She would like to start investing for retirement. In addition to super, she's keen on investing in ETFs. She wants to only invest in the Australian stock market. So she's defined her level of risk. She wants to take the risk, but only in the Australian stock market. And she comes across the following ETFs. 
The first one is STW, which is uh, the ASX 200 ETF, and that's offered by, I think, State Street. The second one is the VAS, which is very popular, which is offered by Vanguard, and that has the ASX 300, so the top 300 stocks. Um, And notice it offers 100 more stocks in it compared to the top 200 stocks. And the third one is IOZ, which is offered um, by BlackRock, and it's called the iShares Core S&P ASX 200. And the last one is the A200, which is the ASX A200 offered by BetaShares. Now, the MERs, which is a management expense ratio for all of these products, ranges from 0.07 to 0.13%. And the buy-sell spread or slippage is around 0.03 to 0.05%. And the liquidity for these ETFs ranges from 14 million to around 48 million, depending on which one you choose. The five-year returns is smack bang around 10%, excluding the A200 beta shares because it hasn't existed for five years. So Amy decides to invest $1,500 per month, but splits it equally into all four ETFs. The issue here is, although Amy thinks investing in all four ETFs equally is a great thing, one can make an argument it's actually against her interest as the holdings of each of these ETFs is actually not that different. It may not be exactly the same, but it has significant similarities such that the differences don't matter too much. So therefore, she's at risk of diversification. Therefore, she takes more risk, but the reward is very minimal, if not zero, and sometimes if can be actually negative. The reason for that is fees. So she may just be better off by sticking to something like VAS or any one of those rather than all of those with a low expense ratio and be done with it. Now, another example of diversification using the American markets is investing in the S&P 500 index fund, you know, pick one, choose one, and also investing in the NASDAQ composite index fund. Why? Because the S&P 500 has almost 30% exposure to the NASDAQ. So are they really getting all that more benefit by investing separately into the NASDAQ? Now, let's agree that this sort of thing is a very individual decision and you need to define your level of risk. But you can see how diversification too much can happen very quickly under the guise of having everything in every form from every company is always a good thing. And sometimes it's actually not. So, what are some of the signs that you may be at risk of diversification? Using a financial advisor. I know this is a controversial statement, um, but depending on the financial advisor, sometimes using one who is so worried about poor returns, because poor returns means you may change them or lose them or whatever it is, or ask them questions, they just recommend spreading the eggs across multiple baskets except those multiple baskets are very similarly correlated. Now, most advisors are genuine and they, of course, try and do the right thing by their clients and discuss their decisions with their clients and stay objective. And a classic sign of this in terms of, you know, a financial advisor that might be really, really worried about you losing money is 
when advisors basically invest in ETFs, which have other ETFs, which in turn have other ETFs, and then the list just goes on. So these are embedded investments. And of course, each of those ETFs have fees associated with them. Now, the second thing is owning similar investments. Now, we already discussed Amy's predicament. She just invested in similar ETFs across the board, which pretty much old very similar Australian securities. So, when holding multiple ETFs or mutual funds or index funds, you need to ask yourself, what's within each ETF or index fund and what are the holdings and are they similar? Are they similarly correlated? And if so, is one ETF charging more fees than the other and what additional benefit are you getting for that fee? And I think this is where a lot of people get into a lot of trouble with too much choice. My general philosophy on this is you've got to pick an ETF that you understand and know and trust and has relatively low fees and stick with it. The problem is not which ETF you invest in or not even how much fees you pay. The problem is a lot of people don't invest. They have this paralysis of analysis because there's so much choice and they get into a state where they go, you know what, I'm just going to put my money in all of them. And that's a potential red flag. Now, the third way that you might be thinking about, you know, diversification is having too many managers. And this is surprisingly not uncommon. So, for example, having a financial advisor who relies on another advisor, who in turn relies on another manager, and each of those managers are responsible for the other managers. Now, all of this adds to layers of costs, which is borne by you, the client, the investor. In fact, that's how Bernie Madoff got his investments. Investors who invested with various funds didn't actually realise ultimately those funds invested in other funds who then invested in other funds who eventually invested in Bernie Madoff's funds. So adding complexity rarely gives you that much benefit, to be honest. So keep your investments as simple as possible and diversify them, but just be careful not to just spread it randomly across too many uh, categories and sectors, etc. Now, the other way is holding too many stocks. So if you're one of those active investors and you want to buy individual stocks, now I don't actively invest, I, I'm very much a passive investor, but I understand some listeners you know, are active investors and that's completely fine. But if you want to do that, generally speaking, holding about 20 or 30 stocks, if you're a stock picker, is probably all you need to hold. But you need to hold them in various sectors which don't correlate. So having 30 mining stocks, even though, you know, it's great that you're having 30 mining stocks, it's still a red flag because all those stocks are representative of the mining industry. And that's ironically under diversification. But then again, having 30 stocks in 30 sectors is probably diversification. You probably need, you know, three to five stocks per sector and call it a day. And again, that depends on your level of risk. So you need to define that. And lastly, investing in things you just don't understand. I can't understate this. This is probably the number one mistake a lot of people make. Just investing in things because they read about it somewhere or their friend's uncle told them. Now, a classic example of this might be investing in private equity funds or non-publicly traded stocks. And the problem with such investments is their methodology, valuation, etc. is very different and it's quite complex. And 
may be based on perceived value. Think about it like a house for sale, but it's never listed. If it's not listed, it's likely not visible to the general public and the general marketplace. So if you're trying to buy this house and you're relying on what the agent is telling you, what your buyer's agent is telling you, and that's what you're relying on, you can't find out what would happen if it went to public auction. That's kind of like investing in private equity funds or non-publicly traded stocks. So how can you prevent or reduce your risk of diversification? Now, even though financial advisory firms may be a risk of diversification, they can also be the solution. They can be part of the solution. They can construct a portfolio which is right for you, but it comes at a cost. It's not cheap. And they can also prevent what's called investing drift when the portfolio starts to weigh too much on one particular asset class. And I have done episodes on asset allocation in the past, so if you're interested, go back and listen to it. Now, the second way is asset allocations. You may choose to have fixed asset allocation portfolios. So you can determine your risk profile as low and just say, I want 60% in bonds and 40% in stocks and be done with it. You can determine your risk profile as moderate and just say, I want 40% in bonds and 60% in stocks and be done with it. Or you can determine your portfolio as being an aggressive investor and just say, I just want 20% in bonds and 80% in stocks or even 100% in stocks and be done with it. That is, with fixed allocation, it's preset and you just rebalance it every six months or 12 months. That's about it. You're less likely to over-diversify if you just follow these basic principles. And lastly, just index funds. Now, rather than choosing multiple index funds, you can just choose one. So, for example, a lot of people just choose the ETF VDHG, which is Vanguard's high-growth ETF. And basically, if you invest in this, your money goes 37% in Australian stocks, 25% goes to international, 15% goes to international stocks to be hedged, and I think that's currency hedging, if I'm not mistaken, and 7% goes to international bonds, 7% goes to international small companies, 5% goes to emerging market companies, and 3% goes to Australian fixed interests. Now, some people like it. It's a one-stop shop, and they hold this and contribute to this forever and be done with it. Um, there's a bit of shares version called DHHF that does something very similar. Now, I did say that having ETFs which have other ETFs, which have other ETFs, which have other ETFs is a potential red flag. And this Vanguard fund does have other ETFs within it, but it's usually just one other ETF within the VDHD ETF. Um, so it's not multiple tiered ETFs uh, in that one fund which can potentially complicate the structure and possibly increase the fees. So, you know, maybe having one or two tiered ETFs is okay, but having multiple tiered ETFs um, is a potential red flag in terms of diversification. Now, you can also just use robo-advisors. So companies like Sixpark or Stockspot, they measure your risk and they have pre-made portfolios for you to invest in. And I think they both have five portfolios based on risk profile. Pick one and go for it. Stick with it. So what are the fundamental concepts? The fundamental concepts here is diversification is important. But 
having too much diversification or diversification is also important to be wary of. And this concept of just putting your money as far and wide as possible um, can potentially increase your risk, but may reduce your return or may even have a negative return. And you need to know what you're investing in. That is fundamentally very important. I'm across a lot of Facebook groups and investing forums online, and the number of times people put up things like, I'm a newbie to an investor, and I don't know anything about cryptocurrency, and I've just opened a CoinSpot account. Can someone help me learn about cryptocurrency? Uh, that sort of stuff worries me. You know, that, that's, you know, that's crypto, but that can be anything. I mean, that can be investing in individual stocks or index funds or whatever it is that they invest in. So just make sure you read about it, understand it. Um, ideally, before you open accounts and start investing or trading, um, just make sure you do your research. And generally speaking, just keeping things simple. The more complex a structure is, it's likely to be more expensive and you're likely to be worse off for it. I know that's a pretty big statement, but it seems to be pretty accurate whenever you come across investment structures or investment products. If you can't explain an investment to a child, you know, in under 30 seconds, then that's a problem. That's a real problem. So, that's about it for this episode. Um, I hope to do an episode on modern portfolio theory in the future, so stay tuned for that. And remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you may be using, or leave a five-star rating on all platforms. That's even better, and please leave a positive review. The more reviews you leave, the more people get access to the podcast, so please keep them coming. This is Devraga from My Millennial Money Medical, and until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.